Hey everyone, welcome to Like a Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Woman Lit, where we talk about books and just about everything else. I'm Christina. For this episode of the podcast, you'll be dropped into an interview with the brilliant Jacqueline Bishop, stellar interviewer, writer, and archivist, as dubbed by Rebel Woman Lit, where we talk to her about her collection of interviews, The Gift of Music and Song, interviews with Jamaican women writers. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. We've gotten to that part of the book yet, Christina, about Elliot Bliss. Not yet. The Elliot Bliss was the first one I read because it I had never heard of her. And I thought I knew everyone, or at least knew of everyone. <laughs> or like I've heard about these people before, even if I haven't read their work. This was really blew me away as this person that obviously would have such a great interest in terms of what I do, in terms of what I'm interested in. I've, I've never heard of her. So thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline, for doing that. <laughs> thank you for bringing okay. her to light or even more into the light, into the spotlight. Yeah, I guess we could start around there. How this body of work fits into the work you want to do as an artist. Why did you feel compelled to put this work together? Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me on the program. And I want to thank you both for the work that you do. Rebel Women have gone on to establish itself, not only in Jamaica, but as a brand abroad as well. Just about everybody knows the organization now. It's in major magazines. Everybody talks about it. It's quite an honor to be asked to to be on the program. So thank you for so much for the work that you do and for prioritizing the voice of women so often in the work that you do. So thank you so much. I don't know too many organizations that I would get up for at one o'clock in the morning in London um, to do an, an interview with. So thank you so very much. Of course, in thanking you, I think I've totally forgotten much of the question that you asked, but perhaps, yeah, a good p- place to start is with Elliot Bliss. So many people are interested in Elliot Bliss and who she is. I was too quite surprised when I met Michaela Calderaro, we met more than two decades ago. I, I will never forget the meeting. I myself was starting a literary magazine, Calabasha Journal of Caribbean Arts and Letters at the time. I had just about finished graduate school at NYU and had gotten summer teaching gig, some kind of teaching gig at NYU. I've pretty much stayed at NYU for a very long time. I'm still at NYU. And she came up to me. I'll never forget. We met at the library, Bobst, in front of NYU. And she was telling me about this woman who was a writer, Jamaican, white, Creole, and also lesbian in the the turn of the century, 1800s, um, early 1900s, Jamaica. And I just thought this whole thing was a quite a fictional thing, tale that she was telling me. I was sure that this could not be, I thought this was a fable. And she had published books that were out of um, date. And she had been working on Elliot Bliss for quite some time. I am so happy that 
last year her biography of Bliss got published by the University of the West Indies Press. And so Michaela is one of the people that was interviewed in this collection, The Gift of Music and Song, speaking about who Elliot Bliss is, the work that she has done, and her contributions to not to Jamaican literature and women's literature. So she's here as well. And maybe you can ask your question again and I can get to answer. <laughs> no worries. The question was Tell me a bit about yourself, the work that you do, and why you thought this particular collection was important for the body of work you're creating, the legacy you want to leave behind. So thanks for the reminder. So, you know, to be fair, I didn't envision the interviews as a a book when I started out doing the interviews spring from several sources. One is my own interest in the interview as a form. This is an interest that I've had for several years now, um, trained as an oral historian at Columbia University that has found form in a book called My Mother Who Is Me, Life Stories from Jamaican Women in New York. When I when we had Calabash up and running, I tried to, to involve interviews in that publication as much as possible. And I think there's one interview in this book from my Calabash days. But then Sharon Leach and I, Sharon Leach is the editor of the bookend section at the Jamaica Observer. I used to publish, I would publish an interview every now and again in the, the bookend section of the Observer most notably Hazel Campbell, who we lost not too long ago. And we got to talking about the lack of interviews for women in particular, and Jamaican women specifically. And so one summer about several years ago, five, ten years ago, we did a series of interviews that went over quite well. But then about Three, four years ago, we did a series of interviews with Lorna Goodison and among others, and that did extremely well. And so we decided to continue doing these interviews. And in addition to focusing on Jamaican women, we we broadened it a little bit and did Caribbean writers as well. Now, even then, it didn't occur to me that this was a book. I was very, just very, very pleased, and Sharon was too, to just be having the the voices of these women in a national newspaper and speaking to as broad an audience as possible in Jamaica. And you know how it is, anything that's locally Jamaican is national and international right? Jamaica is international. It's just how things are with Jamaica. And wherever I would go, people would mention these interviews to me. And after a while, people kept calling for a book, a book. And the publisher at People Tree Press eventually reached out to me and said, did I want to make these into a book? And that's how this book came together. I've continued, as you probably know, doing these interviews. And so I hope that there will be a book two of Jamaican Women Writers interviews. 
Also, I hope I answered. yeah, you did. Also, a quick apology. I thought you were based in New York when I had set the time because I knew you were still at NYU. So I thought you were based there. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to have you up at 1 a.m. I'm not. In, yeah. Um, NYU has campuses in London. They have campuses in Italy, in all over the place. And so for the past um, three years, I've been based here. I am going back to the States in May. Just about all these interviews that I've been doing or people who I've been setting meetings with, everyone thinks I'm in New York, actually, but I'm actually in London. Yeah. So the second part of your question is, how does this fit into the larger project of what I am doing? And I don't think I consciously set out to do some of the things I do, but but when I look back, I think that they unconsciously connect in that I I prioritize certain things in the work that I do. Among the things that I prioritize is the untold story, and I prioritize women's voices. And I think that those things really come together quite forcefully in this book. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what the process of coordinating such a book was like. And you also spoke about there was a desire from others for you to put these interviews together into a book. Why was it, was it important for you for a book like this to be created, for a book like this to exist with these voices? So what was the process of putting this together and then your interest in having such a book like this exist? Oh God, I hate the internet so much. I was asking about your... Yeah, so I was asking about your the process, the process that you went through to coordinate such a book and to compile a book like this with all of your interviews, as well as your own your own feelings towards why such a book is important, why the documentation of these women writers is important for us to have. Actually, it was uh, the first part of your question. It was quite. Uh, it wasn't as difficult to put the book together because in so many ways, Sharon Leach had done so much of the work already for me. So, I mean, I had done on the back end, I had done so much of the work in reading these women and formulating the questions and getting the interview done. But on the, on the front end, Sharon did a lot of work in editing the interviews and getting them published. So compiling them wasn't, wasn't that, that difficult process. The, the second part of the question is a, a more nuanced thing to have to deal with. And I, I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. Before Hazel Campbell knew that this book was in the works, Hazel Campbell knew what the cover of this book was going to be like, and we had discussions about this and so forth and so on. But Hazel Campbell died before this book was published, and Hazel Campbell was in the process of dying 
as this book was in the works. And I don't know of too many interviews with someone like Hazel Campbell. So that uh, says something of the importance of this book, because Hazel Campbell is one of our best short story writers. Hazel Campbell, she's been personally very kind to me as a younger writer, but she has nurtured untold amounts of other Jamaican writers, including Garfield Ellis, who has since died as well. So she has contributed enormously to Jamaican literature. She as well was she's she's been instrumental in many areas of Jamaican arts and in some ways this book rests on the shoulders of Hazel Campbell insofar as we became Facebook friends and it was a bit of a overwhelming experience for me because I I had read is Hazel Campbell when I was much younger and trying to find my way as a writer. She was one of those writers that I read. And I had seen her on Facebook talking about books that she had published and that had just been completely overlooked in Jamaica. No one was reviewing her books. No one was talking to her about her books. She was just completely overlooked. And so I took the opportunity to interview her about these books. And and that interview not only made its way into this book, but something she said about wanting in the next life, the gift of music and song, gave the title to this book. And there are women in this collection who have an international reputation and I've been interviewed in other places, but more often than not, that's not the case here. And I think of the Trinidadian writer, Monique Ruffy, when she was talking about this book, she said, I bet people do not know that there are so there's all this abundance of talent, you know, female talent in um, Jamaica. There's been so much of an erasure of women's voices as writers. And this is why a book like this is important. It is important not only to document these women, but also what goes into the making of their works, right? What they think about their work, you know? It is particularly important because we do not, none of us are going to be here forever. But hopefully a book like this will go on and on and on and give witness to the fact that we have been here and we have been writing. So there you go. Thank you for that. And as you said that, I was thinking to myself that I'm actually glad that we're able to have this interview with you because this too is documentation. Yes, yes, absolutely. 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 You know, this this in and of itself is documentation, right? It's significant that it's documentation by other Jamaican women who are saying we are interested in our country women. This is important. This is very, very important. 
I mean, I can't speak for Jerrine, but one of my favorite things about Rebel Women Lit is the commitment to women's voices, specifically the Caribbean and queer voices. And I don't know if she'll hate this, but leaving a legacy behind in terms of how to, in terms of just the importance of engaging these writers, because they're just so important to not just our cultural production as Jamaicans and people living in the Caribbean, but just our lives. They say and do so much in terms of documenting all of our experiences. Okay, let me just let me just address that for a moment. Another part of the reason why I in the UK is that I have many, 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 many shameful to admit many, 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 many master's degrees. It's embarrassing how many master's degrees. I'll never admit to how many I have. But this is the first PhD that I'm doing. So I'm here doing my PhD as well. The archive for Black women's voices is this big, right? Trying to dig through the archive to find Black women's voice is a problem. And the more we go back in time, is the smaller and the slimmer it becomes, right? So this is, not, this is a very, very important thing to try and make an archive of our voices, of our thoughts, right? Because it's not that many that is there, right? It is a very small thing, right? So, and every day as I sit down before this dissertation, I lament all the things I will not know about Black women because it is not in the archive. So let me just say that. I feel like you're speaking to my soul right now. A few years ago, I was in a used bookstore and I saw this book by Hazel Campbell and I had never heard of her before. And I picked it up and I read it and it was brilliant. And I Googled, I could not find much about her. And then I found another book, Singerman I found, and I read it, loved it. No one was talking about it. I don't even think, I, if I remember correctly, it doesn't even have a Goodreads page, but there was nothing I could find about the author, about craft of what it takes to produce these stories. And then I just thought it was very tragic because I didn't know anything about this writer who created these brilliant stories. And I thought I probably never will. And then I saw that your book came out and I didn't know the influence Hazel Campbell would have had on you as a writer or the significance she would have had in this book. So Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for using or creating space for these other writers because I think it's so important to document this. And I, we, we obviously both agree on that. But also I think what you do as someone who not only writes, but I think someone who also has an interest in craft is that you focus a lot on that, the actual process of writing, the history of that. And so I'm curious about the technical aspects of your interviews. How do you prepare for them? And what made you think 
this is the conversation I'm going to share with the world because I'm sure you talk to these writers a lot. So I'm always I'm curious about when you decide this is the conversation we share versus this is the private conversation that we have. How do I determine what enters the archive? Actually, I don't talk to them a lot. <laughs> really? I just assume all the writers talk to each other all the time. Some of them I have personal relationships with. But in, in terms of the interview, I don't talk to them a lot, you know. And there are writers. One of the things that people complain about my interviews, the writers complain a lot, is that the questions are very, very hard. This is, you know, and I actually just had someone who refused to do an interview because she's like, oh, the question's very hard. And I think she just didn't want to engage with, listen, an interview is not about saying how wonderful you are and just like rubbing you down and this is just you're just so great and so wonderful an interview at least as far as i am concerned really engages with the idea i try to engage with the ideas in your work and sometimes i in doing so i i, I might spot things that you <laughs> might not have spot in your own work. I I am thinking of an interview that I did with an author, really esteemed. I really like him a lot. And he said, why must your questions be this hard? But he went ahead and he answered them anyway. And sometimes authors just don't want to engage with the ideas in their work, you know, because it, it's looking at the omissions in their work and it's looking at very untidy things that they don't want to, to, to engage with. I'm assuming some of the very things happen in my own writing, right? And people can call me on, on various things. So, so there is that. The, let, let me just say something about Hazel Campbell and craft. There was no more solid person than Hazel Campbell. On, uh, on craft, right? She was the mistress of craft. I don't know how much in future years we will, someone will do a, a biography or some kind of PhD on Hazel Campbell and we will get to know how much she has really worked with writers on their craft. She has transferred this knowledge to others but I can attest to the fact that Hazel has looked at and made better much of my own work. She has had a lot of discussions with me on craft, right? And Hazel ran workshops and trained generations of writers very quietly, right? And made works so much the better and so much stronger. And I, I hope that others will come forward and talk about the ways in which Hazel did this. <laughs> right? I really hope that they will. And that this will become part of her legacy as well. Right? Because she was um, so solid on this. She was rock solid on this. And speaking of sometimes not wanting to get the the kind of feedback you got, sometimes she gave me feedback that hurt my feelings, <laughs> but it made me into a better writer. 
<laughs> and the interesting thing about Hazel is she did this all very quietly, right? So thanks for this discussion on Hazel. Right? Thank you so much for sharing your history with Hazel Campbell and just how much of an amazing person she was and writer. So while I was looking through this book and looking at the sort of questions that you asked, it, it just feels like you have a great interest in the background of the writer, their history and everything that's fundamental to them. So I wanted to find out from you if, if it is that you feel that the core of the person determines the kind of story that they write and how they tell their stories and just why is it important for you to really show the humanness of the writer, even while engaging with their work? A bunch of the people that I interviewed, my sense of it was that they said, they took the opportunity to really, I feel lucky because they, they took it, they, they overwhelmingly in the interviews, people took the process very seriously. Right. You look at an interview with someone like Pamela Mordecai and what you get is not just Pamela Mordecai's personal story, but she wraps her story in a history of Kingston as well. Right. So you come away feeling I not only know this person, but I know Kingston. I know a little bit more about the city that is, you know, the cultural history of Kingston. So this is my philosophy about an interview and how an interview functions and what it is that an interview is supposed to do. An interview in in, in Jacqueline's world is supposed to illuminate a body of work, right? It tells us something about the work. And it tells us something about the person who made the work, <laughs> right? Where does this work come from, <laughs> right? So you get a sense of what this work is about. And it, it really works best if the, the, the person themselves is surprised by things that they did not know about their own work. <laughs> right? So all the people who are getting pissed off by the questions, I like that because there are things about the work that you did not know, right? And uh, and of course, I try never to be disrespectful to anyone. And But this work comes from somewhere. It's coming from somewhere, right? So to understand where the work is coming from, you under you need to understand something about the person who created the work, right? So to understand my focus on women, for example, you have to understand that I had the most phenomenal grandmother ever, <laughs> right? And and I had a pretty good mother too, but my grandmother and I, it was exceptional. And, and my grandmother would take me to the small district. My, my, my family, my maternal family is from this small district called Nonsuch. And 
they were all, there was a grandmother and there was a great grandmother and there's my mother and all these women who were doing all these fantastic things. Now, I think it's important. At first, I, I thought I, I couldn't see as clearly um, as I can see now how much of what I create comes from this, comes from this world. So I think that to really understand Lorna Goodison and her focus on sewing in her works, you have to understand that her mother was a seamstress, right? And a really good one as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why I try to do two things in the interviews. I try to get readers to understand. I try to get the interviewee to talk about the work, but I also try to get them to talk about where the work comes from, which is to give us something of their biography. It's really interesting that you mentioned that you like when <laughs> the authors are pissed off by your questions. I was messaging Jerrine today that while reading the interview with Olive Senior, it felt so much like she was just not she was just not here for your questions. And Olive was just not interested in answering, or well, the types of questions that were being asked. You were very insistent, especially that question about violence in Jamaica. I was like, mm-hmm, okay. You were very insistent that she give you a response to that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the book launch, the wonderful book launch that the University of the West Indies the departments of literature and English did. And Tanya Shirley pulled out certain moments in that particular interview and talked about it as well. It's quite interesting. <laughs> of course, congratulations to Olive for being the new Poet Laureate of Jamaica. Absolutely. This book club is an Olive Senior stan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me, I need to submit her for some national awards now. Yeah. But <laughs> I wanted to ask, when when someone deliberately decides to create work for posterity, how do you go about editing that work? How do you go about from selecting which writers you want to interview, which writers you're going to include in this book, to actually editing the interview because I, I, for me archivists kind of play a role kind of like a godlike role when it comes to what is documented and what is shared well to be honest i don't uh see myself so much as an archivist though i do think that perhaps the work is functioning in that way being one of my difficult interviewees i guess my focus overwhelmingly is on the untold story, the untold voices, those we do not generally hear from, those we generally do not see. Those are the people that I give most priority to because I think those are the ones that are in danger most of not being archived. So if since you've declared me an archivist, to be fair, I don't think you're pulling things out of the air. There is an archivist impulse in a lot of the things that I do. I don't, yes, I, 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 was, I was about to say I don't see myself as an archivist, but to be fair, there is an archivist impulse in, in so much that I do. But if you look, Jorian, there is the, 
the the answer to your question if you in in the work that I select to do so Jamaican women's voices in New York <laughs> right Jamaican women writers women who are textile workers in Jamaica right so much so many of the women's that we don't women's look so many of the women that we don't hear from or we do not see or who we walk by those are the people that get center stage in my world someone mentioned to me that my wikipedia page had been updated so i went to look and when I went to look, I realized that I had been asked to do a story for an anthology that Margaret Busby had put out, and it's called The Vanishing Woman, and it tells the story of this enslaved woman who is also a needleworker. That pretty much is who I'm setting out to, 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 to archive, and she's making this gorgeous embroidery piece. And so, yeah, that's that's she is who I have in my sight. Hazel Campbell is who I have in my sight. Those are the women that I have in my sight. I, I, oh, I want to ask why you think these women have, have not been archived. And it's something that, as, as someone who, when I get the free time, I'm at the National Library doing things that I have no particular goal in mind. It's just a curiosity and something that I think should be like, it's there. Why aren't we? I'll give you an example just to contextualize this. So abortions in Jamaica is something, abortions generally is something that's been happening for centuries. It's something we've always done. Yet the National Library's documentation on abortions, it's limited to opinion pieces that have been in the Gleno. And I just could not understand why there were no first-hand accounts. I couldn't understand why any of this like existed. Why have no why haven't any woman or anyone who's actually had an abortion or conducted an abortion? Why haven't that? Why hasn't that been documented? It's something that's just so obvious to me, and all I could think is, really, why? Why haven't we done it? So I'm curious to hear from your perspective as to why you think we have not seen this as important to having the archives, to having the national archives. What makes construction as to what we remember the nation as? What what image do we have? of our nation that disconnects from the reality of our nation? Well, let's understand something here. The archive is a tool of empire to begin with, right? And it continued as a colonial construct, right? So the archive itself was meant to represent what empire thought it should, right? It was meant that that's the founding of an archive. This is who we are as an empire. And this is what we, the empire, England, thinks is important to record. Hence, we do not have records of enslaved bodies and enslaved people 
And we have continued in that in a colonial state and a post-colonial state. This is just facts, right? I find the, so, so that's just archiving, right? I find your, your example interesting, um, but the answers are almost there, right? Female bodies are political bodies, right? And there have been multiple attempts to control female bodies because female bodies are sexualized bodies and they're also reproductive bodies, right? And as such, they should be controlled. In addition to which, you have religion pressing down on female bodies, right? All sorts of religious institutions and whatnot pressing down on female bodies, now, if you start to add these things to, it's like you're not my student. Let's be very clear about this. But it's like I said, I, I would say to my students, oftentimes, you have like a, a toolbox, right? And you you just start taking out the tools out of this toolbox, right? And so first you say, oh, archive, tool of empire, post colonial tool, you know. So our uh, empire is not interested in abortions. So th that's one reason why you don't find it there. Why were we brought here? We were brought here, brought to the Jamaica. We indigenized and all sorts of things, but as a source of labor and reproduction. That runs in the face of, of abortion right there, <laughs> right? To say nothing of the fact that the knowledge, our knowledge was discounted that we 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 came along with as to abortions and whatnot. Now the good news is, Jerain, as I oftentimes say to my students, is that the very tools of empire can be used against empire. That's the that's the beauty of it, and that's that's the this is my dissertation, right? So if you are interested in this, I can guarantee you that within the very archives are the answers of the things you want to find, both within the archive and you can create your own archive, right? Which hopefully can get added to this, to, to this archive or to new archives that are created, right? And one of the main ways of doing this actually is what you're doing right now, right? You go out and you conduct oral histories, you speak to people, you, you seek to gather this information. Isn't this, after all, what uh, Michaela has done in giving us this stunning story that pushes back on the idea that sexuality was just one way and one way only in Jamaica all these years. She goes back and she says, not at all, right? This was never quite like this. So there is my very long answer to your very short question. <laughs> Who do you think, I guess this is a two-part question, who do you want to read your work and who do you think reads your work? Ah, the second question is easier than the first question. I've been on college campuses, so I see that everybody's reading 
you know, call it boys, girls, every, you know, all sorts of people are asking me questions about the work. I think my work speaks to a broad cross-section of, of people who are interested in the Caribbean, who are interested in Jamaica, who are interested in women's stories. Let me just hold up this wonderful, beautiful book here. And I love what the back of this book says. What unites the voices in this book is not their country of birth or gender, but an unfaltering belief in the power of poetry and poetics. In the gift of music and song are lessons and meditations on writing and making for women and men, old and young, Jamaican and non-Jamaican alike. So I think anybody who is interested in craft, in good writing, if I may say so myself, in you know, any of the issues that we've talked about today should read this work. You know, I, I, I must admit that I, I think I might just be Jeraine and Christina, slightly older than you guys. Just, just, just a smidge. Just, just a smidge. <laughs> and after I did the, the, the after the university, the Department of Literature is in English at UWE did that wonderful book launch for this book. There's a really young woman. She came and she said. Can I interview you for my blog? And I said, she's in Jamaica. I said, oh, yes, you know. And she asked a similar question. And I said, I, I really enjoyed talking to her because it it feels, I I will admit one thing, it feels different talking to, to you. Like it felt different talking to her because it feels like I'm talking to a younger version of myself. So in that sense, it, it feels different. You know, I will admit to that. It does feel different. And I said to her what I would say to you, you know, our voices as women and black women and Jamaican black women and Jamaican women, our voices too are universal, <laughs> you know, our stories too are universal. So our stories can be heard by can anybody, anybody, because our stories and our voices too are universal. My cat is all over the place. He was sleeping all day long, <laughs> stuck up in the air, and now he's just like... Well, I don't know who you're talking to, but I want to get in on this story. <laughs> Is that not the nature of cats? <laughs> I want to get in on the story too. And all day today, I tried to hug him and kiss him, and he was just like, leave me alone. But now it's like, <laughs> no. I'm just like, oh, mommy's working. Mommy's working, right? Yeah. Okay. So just one final question, because we will go all night if we can. Whose responsibility do you think it is to archive? It's all our responsibility. It's all our responsibility in the same way that what is happening to all those young women who are meeting, I'm sorry, in the same way that it's happening to all those women, young and old, who are meeting untimely deaths in Jamaica 
and we seem to be stumbling over what is happening on that island and calling it gender-based violence and whatnot, when that can apply to women and men. And in fact, it is misogyny and we cannot seem to call it by its proper name. That's all our responsibility as well. Our legacy belongs to all of us. Our history belongs to all of us. We have to, each and every one of us, take it into our hands and safeguard and protect it in the same and try to build the society, the beloved community, the beloved country that we want. The fact of the matter is that certain voices, oftentimes male, get prioritized over other voices, right? And a book like this tries to intervene in those ways and in those discussions. And uh, a podcast like this try, tries to do that as well. But it, it, it's all our responsibility. Every last one of us, it is our responsibility, right? To say, no, we will not forget who Hazel Campbell is. We will amplify her legacy. We will amplify her life. We will hold her up and we will make sure that as many people as possible get to know who she was and the amazing things she contributed to Jamaica. Thank you very much, ladies. And thank you. I'm hoping everyone who is listening now, if this is your first time knowing or hearing about Jacqueline Bishop, she has, she's not kidding when she says she has a lot of master's degrees. She also has a lot of <laughs> books, a lot of work that she's doing. Please check out Jacqueline Bishop. It's someone who I'm still not over the fact that I'm talking to you right now because it's someone that you, you're someone I've admired over the years. And for you to slide in her DMs, it's just amazing. What's the name of your cat, by the way? Salem. His name is Salem. Salem. But thank you so much, Jack. Our voices as Jamaican women, central in your work, across the work that you're doing, um, just a part of your life. You have made us central and not the, I guess, the tokenistic idea of talking about marginalized voices. You've actually prioritized or craft, you've prioritized our stories. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. I miss your beautiful face, Christina. I know, but (laughs) for some reason, turning my camera off makes the audio better. So, I don't know. But really, thank you. I think one of my favorite things from this conversation so far is you saying that our voices are universal. Like, I don't know why, but that is extremely profound to me. Our voices are universal. It really is. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. Remember to follow Rebel Millet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to support the amazing work being done by this community, consider becoming a sustaining member. Uh, Remember to share this episode and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. A five-star review, of course. (laughs) Uh, Stay lit and see you at Book Club.